everyone. Brian Sussman here. Brian Sussman Show. Special edition in that these are very peculiar times of delusion in which we live, where people are believing absolute insanity. And no, I'm not talking about the climate agenda. I'm talking about the situation in the Middle East. And these protesters, not just in the United States of America, but all over the world who are cheering for the Palestinians. There's so much misinformation, scratch that, so much disinformation in all of this. And so what I'm going to do in this podcast is share with you a portion of, actually, I'll share the whole thing. It's an article I have posted at briansussman.com. Now, lots of people are writing about this, but I guarantee you I'm going to be bringing to the fore some facts that you will find quite fascinating that I hope you'll be able to use with some of these skulls full of mush who are cheering for the Palestinians. Because you see, what they're cheering for is actually the annihilation of Jewish people. This is frightening. So let me get to this article. It has to do with Joe Biden, really, initially. Joe Biden had an op-ed in the Washington Post this past weekend where he championed this two-state solution. Now, well, I'll just get to the article. It's entitled, Biden is wrong about a two-state solution and why it should never happen. So again, on Saturday, Biden presents an op-ed in the Washington Post. The president wants to give an op-ed. Of course, they're going to give him space. Reiterating his support for this 100-year-old two-state solution. I'm going to give you the history here. They're saying this is the only answer to the current war. Well, this is the answer that the Arab Muslims would love to hear. They, they want to hear a two-state solution, even though they're flatly not for it. They like to see Israel capitulate and compromise whenever possible. Because, well, again, let me just get back to the article. He said, as we strive for peace, this is Biden, uh, the Gaza and the West Bank should be united under a single governance structure, ultimately under a revitalized Palestinian authority. The two-state solution, my friends, this is me talking, not Biden. It's pie in the sky. It's meant to appease those in the West who want peace at all costs. It's a plan that has historically wanted to and has punished the Jewish people and emboldened their Arab Muslim neighbors. But first of all, you have to realize this. This is a blood feud. This is a family feud. This stems back thousands of years, all the way to the Bible's very first book of Genesis. It involves the father of the Semitic people, Abraham, the first Hebrew, and also the father of the faith in Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, Take your pick. The mighty one, the supreme being, the only God. In the 13th chapter of Genesis, God gave Abraham a very distinct promise that through his biological lineage, there would be birthed a great nation. And, that, and from that genetic line, by the way, would also come a savior, a Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. 
Here's what the Lord said to Abraham. This is from Genesis 13, verses 14 through 15. Now raise your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. So in other words, Abraham is in this location where he can see everything. And, and God is saying to him, For all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as plentiful as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, then your descendants will also be counted. Arise, walk about the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. That was the land that became the nation of Israel, the promised land. It's in the Bible. It's in the 13th chapter of a very, very old book, which is, by the way, very well corroborated. This land was further described two chapters later, Genesis 15. I'll read it. To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. That, that was a big chunk or significant chunk of real estate. However, many years passed. Nothing was happening. There were no descendants. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were becoming very old, nearing 100, Abraham was, well past childbearing years for Sarah. So they took matters into their own hands. They compromised God's promise. So easy for humans to do that, right? But we think we've heard from God. <laughs> And we, we kind of we twist the plan a little bit to see things get done our own way. Well, that's exactly what Abraham did. That's what Sarah did. They were people just like you and me. They, they decided to compromise the word of God in order to get things done. Now, by the way, this was a very common practice back in those days. So why not? Abraham would have sexual relations with one of their servants, an Egyptian named Hagar. She would bear the couple a son to carry on the family line. She was pregnant. She's about to give birth. And immediately, dysfunction arose in Abraham's household. Genesis 16, verse 4, we read, When Hagar became aware that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarah, was insignificant in her sight. You can understand how easily that might happen. And suddenly... That house became a mess. As the one who carried Abraham's child, Hagar felt a superior status towards his wife, Sarah. And things quickly soured. Hagar fled, only to be intercepted by the angel of the Lord, who told Hagar two vital things. Which brings us to the issue of the day. Okay, this is all in the book of Genesis. Return to your mistress, God said, and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that there will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to Hagar, Behold, you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction but he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in defiance of all of his brothers. Ishmael became the father of the Arab people. 
Eventually, Arab uh, Abraham and Sarah would have their own biological son, whose name was Isaac. He would become a forerunner to the Jewish people. Isaac is the son of God's original promise to Abraham. Ishmael is the son of a promise made to Hagar. And note, while the descendants of Ishmael indeed seem to have inherited that spirit of stubbornness and defiance that was prophesied to Hagar, there are many times in the Bible where the descendants of Isaac and his son Jacob are described as stiff-necked and rebellious. These are all the makings for a long-lasting feud. Again, what we're witnessing in the Middle East is a family feud. I know many broad-minded thinkers, many liberals believe the Bible is nothing more than just a bunch of silly stories made up by man. But one cannot deny the conflict between the descendants of Abraham on the Arab side and on the Hebrew side, the Jewish side, the Israeli side, which have been prominently displayed on the pages of history for millennia. From the Bible's perspective, there's no two-state solution. There's none. The land of Israel, which, by the way, was named after Jacob. So you have Abraham, his son Isaac, and then his grandson, Jacob. Jacob's name would later be turned to Israel. It was promised to the Hebrew people. The land was promised to the Hebrew people. Though the nation was destroyed under Roman rule, completely destroyed in in 70 AD, in accordance with a prophecy, by the way, written 2,500 years earlier in the Bible's book known as Ezekiel, a rebirth of Israel, a rebirth of Israel would someday occur. So yes, it was going to be destroyed. It was 70 AD. And then all those many years later, it was going to be reborn, which it was. Now, here's the rest of the story, the likes of which the current pro-Palestinian movement refuses to acknowledge. In the 19th century, Palestine was part of the British Empire. There was no Israel. The land was known as Palestine. And the Jewish people from Europe and Russia began returning to their promised land. In many cases, purchasing property at top dollar rates from local Arabs. This is all true. In 1917, this was during the midst of of World War I, a letter was written by the British Foreign Secretary, a guy named Arthur Balfour, the Balfour Declaration, in which he expressed the British government's support for a Jewish homeland in what was known as Palestine, which stretched from the Mediterranean Sea to the eastern boundary of what is now Iraq. Pretty big territory. By the way, I just want to reiterate this, The name Palestine, the name Palestine, I've talked about this in other podcasts, but it's very important for these pro-Palestinian protesters to hear. The name Palestine was coined by the Romans in the year 135. There was a final Jewish uprising in, in what was formerly Israel. The Jews were trying to rise up against their Roman oppressors. They lost. And, and when they lost, the Romans decided they would name the territory Palestine. It was a name that was synonymous with Philistine. 
and the Philistines were the arch enemies of Israel going back to the days of David and Goliath. This was meant to, the name Palestine or Palestine was an insult to the Jewish people. That's what the Romans did when they coined that one. Now, I would just like to tell you the idea of a Jewish homeland may have been back in the early 20th century altruistic, you know, in the minds of some. And especially in the British government, they thought, okay, well, this would be a good thing to do. They need a homeland. They're being persecuted throughout Europe. They were not wanted in Russia. There was a lot of persecution in Europe. So we'll, we'll give them a homeland. That would be great. But there was something else to this. I mean, altruism, charity on the one hand, but there was a political strategy involved here. Part of the political strategy was to get the United States to enter World War I, but another one was that the Brits wanted a land bridge between the crucial British territories of India and Egypt. So the establishment of a Jewish state under British protection could accomplish this goal. In 1920, Great Britain was given the responsibility by the newly enacted League of Nations to oversee the reconstitution of a Jewish home. This is 1920. Palestine would be the name of this home. The original League of Nations plan reinstituted a significant portion of Israel's original borders. Things were looking good. Israel would get the beginning of a homeland and it would be of decent size, decent size, small compared to the surrounding countries, but of decent size. It would be somewhat easy to defend. So that was the original idea, but it was quickly tossed by, believe it or not, a fellow named Winston Churchill in favor of giving a sliver of this Palestine area to the Jews and the rest of the land to the Hashemite family, the Arab Hashemite family. Those are the people that currently run the nation of Jordan. So this sliver of land would be the new Palestine and the other land belonging to the Arab family, Hashemite, was called Transjordan. British officials claimed that the decision was in gratitude to the Hashemites in terms of their contribution of helping the Brits defeat the Turks. And immediately, immediately, immediately something happened. As soon as this sliver of land was given to the Jews, any Jewish people residing outside that sliver of land were either told to go to the sliver immediately or face death. Expulsion or death, those are your choices. So in 1923, another alteration was made, carving away an area called the Golan Heights. This was an area of strategic security protecting the region from enemies to the immediate east. So right off the bat, their territory started getting hacked and hacked and hacked, but nonetheless, the territory flourished. And the failed economies of the surrounding Arab states made this new Palestine very attractive to Arabs. And so there was a lot of illegal immigration, Arabs coming in to find work and likely Arabs coming in for future subterfuge, terrorism. But I should just mention this. Prior to 1948, 
any any Jewish person or Arab born in Palestine, your birth certificate says place of birth Palestine. I mean, Jews were Palestinians. Arabs were Palestinians. And any other people group living in that area, born in that area, you were a Palestinian. During its administration of the Jewish territory up until 1947, Britain severely restricted immigration into the country or into the territory. And uh, they were also restricting purchases of land. And they also turned a blind eye to the Arab immigration. These were the Brits. I'm just telling you the truth. It's, it's in the historical record. But it gets worse. Because Britain's pathetic, pathetic record of appeasement to the Arabs culminated in a 1939 white paper, as it's known, which limited Jewish immigration to about 75,000 people for the next five years. This was 1939. Now, what was about to happen? The Holocaust. So this occurred on the outbreak of World War II. They were severely limiting immigration into Palestine. Jews were trying to flee Eastern Europe and Germany, but couldn't make it to a safe place like Palestine. And this 1939 white paper was literally a death blow to millions of Jewish souls who were attempting to flee extermination by the Nazis. Now, that's just another piece of ugly history, but it needs, to be, it needs to be cited. Following the war, the United Nations was formed in 1945. I've never been a big fan of the United Nations. I've written extensively about this organization. Uh, and in my new book, Climate Cult, I will be talking a lot about the United Nations and their indoctrination plans that have, again, taken especially Gen Z by storm. The same people out there protesting for Palestine are the same ones who believe this climate change nonsense. But Britain's mismanagement of the region had led, which was acknowledged by everyone. This is after World War II. United Nations had formed in San Francisco. The United Nations came up with what they called a partition plan. It was the partition plan of 1947. It was meant to finally provide a refuge for the surviving remnants of the Jewish Holocaust and for the growing number of Jewish refugees being driven out of their homes throughout the Arab world. It was essentially the first, well, it was a two-state solution. It was, it was definitely a two-state solution. Maybe not the first, but the first big one. The Arab regimes flatly rejected this partition plan. Flatly rejected it. In, fa in, in fact, they began to work against the existence of an independent Jewish state like nobody's business. But again, despite... Despite the fact that it was the United Nations, it proves God can use any entity he choose, chooses. Because Israel officially became a sovereign nation, rebirthed according to the book of Ezekiel and the prophecies that you can read in chapter 36, 37, and 38, rebirthed into a nation. Transjordan, Palestine became Israel, Transjordan became the kingdom of Jordan. And immediately... 
immediately, all of the Arab nations showed their dislike for this, their hatred for this. They rebuffed the arrangement and they attempted an onslaught to exterminate the Jews. The reborn nation's 600,000 Jews fought to survive. It was a nine-month war. It was a massive Arab attack. And by the way, there were Arabs living peacefully in Palestine and now the new Israel. Arabs were living there peacefully. To this day, there are Arabs in the Knesset, you know, their version of Congress or Parliament, if you will. But the Arabs left. They were under the belief that they would all be killed by the Jews. They left. And no sooner had they slipped out of Israel's borders, but they were quickly prevented by the surrounding Arab countries from coming in. The Arabs did not want them. It's just like some of these battles we've seen recently in Gaza. You know, the, the people of that area, the Arabs, wanted to flee to Egypt. They were getting bombed by the Israelis. They wanted to flee to Egypt. Guess who would not let them in? Why do you think that is? It's because these Arab nations, one, obviously don't have a lot of love for these Arab brothers that are now known as the Palestinians. But the second part of it is they've always wanted to have an agent surrounding Israel's borders that are ready to go off at any moment. People living in these refugee camps today are rubbed raw. They're so indoctrinated. I, I've, I've seen, you can go online and find them for yourself. I've seen some of their textbooks that they have for, for kids in uh, grade school, literally teaching them that Jewish people are descendants of pigs. It's disgusting, but they've indoctrinated a generation who are ready to go off and become martyrs for Allah at any moment. Well, Israel held off its enemies in 48, but they lost precious territory because there was an armistice, armistice and lines were drawn, creating a new Israeli border that in some cases was only nine miles wide at its most densely populated area. And then the homeless Arabs were dwelling now in these new camps along the borders of Israel. And these people would become the modern-day Palestinians that the protesters are cheering for to get their homeland back. Of course, the rabble have no idea today, again, that of the history of this or even that there are actually Arabs that live in Israel today and are members of the Knesset. Now, let's jump ahead to 1963 because this is very important for this history. And it just illustrates why a two-state solution is foolish. That's beyond foolish. It's stupid. 63, Arab nations announced a new weapon in their war against Israel, the Palestine Liberation Organization. Yasser Arafat became the PLO chairman and oversaw the development of a charter calling for Israel's destruction. There's a charter that calls for the destruction of Israel. The PLO had, had one. The Hamas has one. There's no two-state solution as far as these guys are concerned. And, and terrorist attacks, 1963, it was determined these would be their best method for intimidation. And you can, you can read all about it if you want to go back into history. My wife was there for this one. She was in Munich, in the Olympic, uh, in the, in the Olympic Village, 
And she, she was there when the terrorists came in and started killing Jews on the Israeli Olympic team. It was frightening. In fact, here's a New York Times headline. Nine Israelis on Olympic team killed with four Arab captors as police fight ban that disrupted the Munich Games. This was the preferred method of intimidation by the Palestine Liberation Organization. So let's continue from here. There was a six-day war in 1967. A six-day war where, again, these Arab nations decided we're going to go in, we're going to attack, we're going to get rid of the Jews. And under extreme global pressure, the Jewish people, Israel, foolishly accepted a deal to give away the newly liberated West Bank to Jordan and the Gaza Strip to the Egyptians. And the Arab League simultaneously, so Israel wins the Six-Day War, but they give up more territory. Israel wins the Six-Day War, and the newly founded Arab League, these are all the Arab nations, get together with three no's, three no's that they all could agree on. No peace with Israel. No negotiations with Israel. No recognition of Israel. Do you, can, do you understand the word no? There's no two-state solution with these people. If they say they're going to go for one, it's just, it's just a way for them to get more as they patiently wait it out as long as they can to see the destruction of Israel. You see, no more Israel. And that's what we're seeing with these protesters. I mean, they've become so bold and so brazen and so brainwashed. They, they don't want Israel. If you don't want Israel, that means you don't want Jews. If you don't want Jews, that means Holocaust. Is that what you're really for? The masks have come off. People are so deluded. We're living in a day and age that's unprecedented. People believe in the craziest things. Not just about climate, but about personal identity. My gosh, and there, you know, there are actually counties in California. I don't know what's going on around the rest of the world and the country. But there are actually counties in California where school districts have placed kitty litter boxes in the bathrooms for the kids who want to identify with cats. I'm not making that up. I've heard that personally from a couple different teachers who have seen this in their own schools. Chapters 36 and 37 of the aforementioned book of Ezekiel, we read that there will come a time when Israel will be attacked by a slew of nations, Turkey, Egypt, Iran, Libya, Sudan, and even Russia. This war will be a sign of two things signifying the end times. One, the return of the Messiah. And two, the salvation of the Jewish people. It's going to be a great awakening, the likes of which this world has never seen. A spiritual great awakening. The Bible says all Israel will be, will be saved. The Bible also states that during this attack, Israel will be without an ally, meaning even the United States will end up turning its back. Something that, quite frankly, seems very, very possible when Gen Z finally takes the helm 
of U.S. politics. And that's why I'm telling you, I'm praying for this nation, that there will be a great awakening even here. Thank you for joining me, my friends. I do appreciate it. More on me at briansussman.com. Please make sure you subscribe on YouTube, Brian Sussman Show, or Rumble, Brian Sussman Show, or wherever you're listening to the audio podcast, because a subscription will give you a, a heads up as to when my next podcast is about to drop. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. And God bless Israel. Shalom.